When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Alright, it is film study. I told you guys this was a busy week. The Ravens play on Thursday, which means we got to get one more show in, so we get to take a look at the Bengals preview. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am. I'm doing well. I'm excited for Thursday night. I'm excited. It's the battle for first place, I guess, as week two, as the Bengals and the Ravens both have one win and the only wins in the division. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Joe Goodberry, who writes for the Athletic about the Bengals. So, Joe, how are you doing? I'm living the dream, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. You guys know how this goes. I'm going to step back a little bit. We're going to let Ken and Joe go in really deep into this and uh, see where we go. Let's get ready for Thursday. All right. Well, let's, let's first of all set up the show a little bit. Joe Joe works writes for The Athletic. 
uh, and uh, has been writing about Bengals football for about nine years now. Very well known. Uh, I can tell from your number of Twitter followers, you you have a rabid following there, Joe. That's terrific. Uh, anything else you could add to that? What's your, your background in, your education? Well, I, yeah, I'm uh, 31 years old. I live in actually western New York, I live outside of Buffalo. Um, I'm never from Cincinnati. I just, you know, I... I, I that was something about the helmets, I think, as a kid. I, I became attached to them. You know, I think that has an, an impression on a young boy, and it did. And I stuck with them, and I, it started as just fun. You know, I, I I didn't like the national analyst. You know, I you sit there, you watch ESPN, and they don't know your team as well as you do, right? Uh, the, the national guys don't know your team. They don't know. You, you hear what they say, and you go, ah, you know, I don't know if that's accurate. And it, it started that way when I'm 18, 19, 20 years old. And I'm like, I want, I need to get my opinion out there. I need to get what I think out there. And it stuck. People liked it. I don't, you know, I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. But I kept going from there. And, uh, I, you know, nine years later, I guess, I, I made it to where I am now. It's terrific, Joe. Um, anyway, you're recommended to me by Dan Horde, who's the, the voice of the Bengals, and uh, uh, really appreciate him putting the, putting you in touch. And we just want to let you do most of the talking in this pod because we're Baltimore fans that are trying to learn more about the Bengals. Got a technical audience, so don't take them for granted here. Tell them all you know about, about the Bengals, and I think we'll appreciate it. I will say we talked to a Buffalo guy last week, and Western New York does seem to be kind of a hotbed of, of analyst territory from what I can what I can know. I, I'm interested to hear why you didn't become a Bills fan. Um, you know, it was kind of like uh, late 80s, the Bengals and Bills kind of had a little rivalry. Going to the playoffs, it was uh, Boomer and, and the, you know, their offense, the way the West Coast offense, and the the Bills were just forming the K-Gun offense with Jim Kelly, and uh, you know, they were going to take the early 90s by storm in the AFC, but in that late 80s there, they clashed a little bit, and I, and I remember that impact on my family, and I you know, my older brother, oh, I'm a Bills fan. And I'm like, you know what, I'll take the rival at that point and, the, you know, in that time. And I think it, it just stuck. And, and you know, the, your point to Western New York, I think losing cities or, or cities that struggle have to find other ways to enjoy football or, or sports. And, and I think that, you know, it, you find guys in Cleveland, Buffalo, Cincinnati, they will tend to look at the game a little bit differently and hopefully a little analytically because, you know, you're not wins and losses aren't really cutting it for you. Yeah, you, you hit it right on the money with those Browns fans are extremely technical and impressive. So it's uh, that, that sounds right to me. Let's uh, let's get right into it. Give us a high level, your view of the Bengals in general entering this season. Where do you see them as being in, in terms of their chances to make the playoffs and where they are good on the three units? I may sound positive about them, but... I'm not typically like that, and I'm, I may speak glowingly of them because I do think their roster is um, talented in the right areas. They've really tried to retool the offense. Um, they Bill Lazor now in his second year took over for Ken Zampezi after week two. Uh, the Bengals offense was really struggle, struggling. They fired their offensive coordinator, promoted Zampezi from quarterback's coach, and since then, they've tried to rebuild the offensive line, acquiring Cordy Glenn from the Bills and swapping from 11th to 21st pick, drafting Billy Price out of Ohio State in the first round. That solidifies their left side, at least they hope. Cordy Glenn at left tackle, Clint Bowling at left guard, and Billy Price at center. The right right side is still a, a weak spot, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But that offensive line, surrounded by the weapons they have, obviously A.J. Green, you guys know him, everyone knows him. But Tyler Eifert is healthy again for now. They got him on a pitch count, but... You know, if he can help them even on in, in 30, 40, 50 snaps per game or, or percentage per game, uh, that should elevate the offense. And then John Ross in year two caught a touchdown last week. He looks better this preseason, this camp. Um, Tyler Boyd in year three taking the next step. And really the catalyst, I think, this year is Joe Mixon. Uh, he looks like he's, he's, he's taking that next step to be what I think a lot of people saw in him on the field, which is an elusive guy in a big, strong body with the top end speed and the receiving ability. Uh, the Bengals leaned on him last week against the Colts. And if all those pieces stay healthy and stay together, it can be a very, very good offense. But at the same time, the Bengals have traditionally relied on a lot of volatile players, whether that's character-wise, uh, reliability-wise, and that's Tyler Reifer, John Ross, Cordy Glenn, right? A lot of those guys consistently injured. Vontez Perfect is suspended again. You know, they've relied on these types of players to push them over the edge and maximize uh, the talent on the roster. And it's blown up in their faces plenty of times. So while I feel excited about the talent on the offensive side, I think the defense is the, is the strength of the team. Uh, but at the same time, there is 
a, a lot of expectations for these guys to just assume that next step in in their careers. Uh, and it doesn't always work out that way, as you know. You know, you can maybe bank on a third of those guys to actually uh, fulfill that destiny. And, and so I may sound, as we go through it and, and talk about each individual position and what they do, I may sound um, positive, but I, I do realize that they are banking on a lot of players doing something they haven't done recently, which is stay healthy and produce. All right, very good. Now, let's talk a little bit about the offense first. And I, I noticed a couple of things about the about the Bengals roster. The first is that both of the starting tackles from last year are now sitting on the bench, Fisher and Abui. Yeah, and uh, Cedric Boy was uh, inactive last week, too. So um, he's really on the end of the roster. And, and I don't think he cares. I don't think he's, you know, cut out to do it. He, I think he's there. He's, a, he's an athletic guy with long arms, and that's where it ends, you know, in terms of, value on a foot on the football field uh he was never had a punch he never was able to to anchor and and, and absorb that power on on a bull rush uh it's beaten him plenty of times they've given him more than enough opportunity starting at right tackle and then starting at left tackle uh last year he's been beaten consistently won't grade it out in, in every metric and by all the analysts as one of the worst offensive tackles in the league jake fisher on the other hand has flashed and um while he gets beat as consistent as oh boy he does he at least has the high end plays and you can see how hard he battles through it um strong hands latches on can really move guys uh, good in in space good in the second level and run blocking i still think he's their best option at tackle the starter right now at right tackle is bobby hart who was released by the giants last year if if one player graded worse than oh boy he and fisher it was bobby hart in the league last year so the bengals really grabbed three guys and said one of them has to step up it ended up being Hart, I guess. You know, I really, I don't think they even feel very confident about it. He gave up two sacks to Marcus Hunt in week one. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a very short leash with him, and maybe we see Fisher or a boy he's soon. Uh, I just think that right tackle spot, just seeing those two former high picks sitting the bench tells you all you need to know that it is a major concern on this roster. Right. So, uh, a boy he was a two, if I recall correctly, and that was, is that correct? A, a First round. round. First round pick. Yeah, and, fit, okay. and they went back to back Fisher in the second round. Okay, and that uh, I, what I do like about the Bengals roster is having four full time tackles is nice. One thing I just can't stand is swingmen. They always end up being guards and not tackles. Right. And and it's uh, it's nice to do that. But they, they should have some trade value there, I would think, um, with having four tackles that are active. There's a there's always a premium on those guys, and even a guy like a uh, uh, might be of value. I thought the same thing. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery. Maybe, um, you know, he played guard in, at Texas A&M also. I believe it was a sophomore year, played right guard, 10 games. Uh, so maybe he kick, gets kicked inside somewhere else. I think that could be a, could be the case, but he's played so bad. I'm not sure what you get. What do you get, a conditional seventh-round pick for him? You may have more value in saying, well, we don't really know who our right tackle is, and Cordy Glenn on the left side has missed games three consecutive years. You might as well just keep him for that price. There you go. There you go. How's Billy Price look so far? In one game um, in the regular season, he had a, a he struggled the first half. On the first pass of the game, he got bull rushed, um, got knocked back. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the longest arms. He is powerful, but once you lose that leverage there, you're in retreat mode. You really got to sit and anchor. He wasn't able to because he was tripped up by Clint Bowling, the left guard, was bull rushed into uh, Andy Dalton's lap. Dalton threw a pass up. It was intercepted. Um, second play of the game. So from there, there were some stretch zone plays. Bengals like to run a lot of stretch zones, especially since they brought in new uh, offensive line coach Frank Pollock from the Dallas Cowboys. And Price isn't that kind of guy. You know, he's a power guy. He wants to wrestle you. He wants you in close. He wants to, you know, turn that nose tackle around. He doesn't want to get that reach block. He doesn't want to get that shaded, uh, you know, free tack or, or anyone else outside of him. And he, there was a few plays that he got blown up into the backfield because of it. Second half, like the entire team, he played much better, and they figured out, you know, how to get in sync a little bit and how to, how to really move the ball. But in preseason and in camp, uh, I think they're happy with him. The last four years, they let Russell Bodine start, who really probably killed more offensive plays than anybody on the roster. 
He, they, they'd let him walk. I mean, this is a guy that was came in and started at 21 years old, a free agent at 25, and really had no interest out there in the league. He's a backup now for the Bills. So it should be an upgrade in Billy Price, even if he's going to have some struggles. And coming from Ohio State, using the shotgun every snap, uh, playing one year at center, the other three years at guard. So there is a little bit of a transition phase. He did have some bad snaps in camp. Uh, but he's the type of guy who's going to work through it and really put in the effort. So I, I like him. Um, it was a good center class, though. They they really wanted Frank Ragnow, who went one pick of, on in front of them to the Detroit Lions. I like James Daniels next because of his age, his length, and his athleticism. But they went Billy Price. I do understand it, and it should help the solidify the left side from left tackle to center. Now at 18, they just missed out on the Derwin James slash uh, Tremaine Edmonds sweepstakes. That's right. Those two guys dropped way too far. Uh, Were you happy that they drafted a center that early? Actually, it was was 21, wasn't it? I'm looking. It was 21. Yeah, it was 21, and that's about the maximum range a center goes, right? Like Alex Mm -hmm. Mack, I believe, was 21. Uh, Those are that's for elite centers. I'm not sure Price was. If it was Ragnow, I thought Ragnow was fantastic. Um, If if he was the pick, I would have say was an A plus for value, for need, um, for taking the guy you want. Price, I'm okay with. Uh, I, I wasn't too happy. But when, when the draft played out, after the guys like Edmonds and, and Derwin James did go, you thought, hey, you know, as, as it's coming, you're, you're getting within a few picks. You go, okay, there's some value right there. I'll, I'll take those guys. I mean, we may not need that that guy or that position, but I'll take them because of the value. And then you start to even think Calvin Ridley at that time because he was dropping. Um, but when, when the board set up at 21, I knew at that point once Ragnar was gone, I was like, it's Billy Price. And so I, I quickly came to – came to grips with that and, and it's okay I'm, I'm all right with that okay all right I was I really wasn't okay with the Ravens pick but this is about the Bengals so let's keep moving here <laughs> I, I, we both have a level of offensive line play that's clear I, we both spent some time grading we talked a little bit as we were previewing here uh, on that but uh, great to, to hear somebody else talk intelligently about the OL a- anyway uh, next thing I saw was that Giovanni Bernard only had one carry now he's a Raven killer from the past uh, yeah. what happened to him in the first game you know, I think it was they only had 55 offensive snaps. Uh, if if this was a game where the game script was a little bit different and they're getting in the 65, 70 snaps, Gio would have played. I, I do believe they value him. Um, he is their best pass-protecting running back still, so they're going to use him at the very least at that. It's not going to show up on the stat sheet, obviously. Uh, he did have two plays where he touched the ball and were called back on penalties, so it looked worse at the end of the game that he only had one carry, one catch. He's still going to be a, a member of this offense and an integral part. I just think last week, Mixon was hot. He was he was running really, really well. And they got to the point where they were struggling on offense and they needed to get a spark and, and really lean on one part of the game to set up some of these play-action passes that they did get. The one um, post to A.J. Green was off of three and three consecutive touches to Joe Mixon. So that's what they leaned on. And I think it's just, you know, you feed the hot hand for the young guy that's really blossoming uh, I, I have no problem with leaning on Mixon because I think he's that special. But I do think Bernard is going to play. And the Bengals have always struggled with rotating their one and two running back, whether that was um, Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard not understanding how each one is different and how, you you know, one guy runs better behind a fullback, the other guy runs better in some zone plays, how one guy shows pretty much that you're going to run the ball, the other guy shows that you're pretty much going to pass it, to now having Mixon and Gio who they feel can do the same exact things. They both can catch the ball. They both can run routes. They both can run zone and power. So it, the rotation is less clear now, and I think they just stuck with Mixon the, the whole way. Okay, let's let's go and talk to, about the receivers for a minute. And John Ross is one guy we need to touch on because he wasn't part of the uh, team effectively last year. He had one reception, if I recall correctly. None. He had one touch. He fumbled it on a reverse. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, and he... You know, they said at t- at the time during the season, everyone's questioning, why aren't you playing him? What are you doing? With Is Marvin Lewis unhappy with him? Uh, you know, the coaches are idiots, of course, right? And, and um, it, it, after the season ended, after they put him on IR, you started to hear the real story, and it was that he wasn't healthy. Um, his confidence was at an all-time low of – do I even belong in the NFL? You know, I, I'm reading the defense incorrectly. What am I doing? You know, I'm messing up here. Um, 
is this team even, do they need me? Do they want me? You know, what's, what do I have to prove? I was the ninth pick and I've done nothing through 10 games. You know, it, it really starts to wear on you. And they said it, it, he struggled with his own confidence and believing in himself. They gave him a clean slate, though. They said in the offseason, you know, get your body right, get healthy, uh, work at it, work at your craft, come back. If you prove you're the guy, you have this role, you have this job. And I, and I think when they came into camp, Ross looked great. He looked healthy. His body was stronger. He was back to being quick and fast. Um, and Tyler Boyd also, uh, the third-year guy in the slot, he took that next step, too, and showed up in the preseason. They said, okay, Brandon fell, the guy we've leaned on as number two, you're gone. We don't need you because we really feel confident in these two young guys and stepping up into that role. And, um, you know, he wasn't involved heavily week one. He had two targets. One was basically they, they run a lot of option routes on deep passes where it's um, if you're beating the corner, they'll throw it deep. If not, prepare for the back shoulder throw. And um, it looked like there was a little bit of miscommunication between Dalton and Ross. But they come back to a fade route later in the game, and um, Ross runs that so well. If you watch him at Washington, he had a lot of 17 touchdowns that senior year, um, and a lot of them were red zone touchdowns. And on the fade, he's just too quick. you got to get your hands on him, and if you don't, he's going to beat you. And I think they, they will – use him more often they really didn't need to in, in the last game I think like I said if there was more plays in that game he would have seen more touches um but I, I do think there's a lot of upside so I, we saw it in the preseason I don't know if you've seen that see saw the long catch he had versus Buffalo week three preseason where he makes two guys miss afterwards and, and goes in on the first play of the game I think the Bengals have those plays in there where they're going to threaten you or at least throw it to back those safeties up I think that's the biggest thing they want to get those safeties out of there Unfortunately, they, I, I think we saw that play on fourth and 12 at the end of last year with Tyler. Yeah, that, that, that too. Yeah, Tyler Boyd, you know, he, he's been consistent with his hands, with his route running. He was never overly athletic or really big. You know, at 6'1", 200 pounds, he's an average size guy. But the, what they really wanted him to do was, okay, you're going to have to be a very good route runner, very refined and accurate guy out of the slots, run a lot of those option routes and against the blitz for hot routes but you need to make these contested grabs because you're not going to be a guy that naturally gets separation. Um, so he came into this camp this year, and he's done all of that. And they're very happy with Tyler Boyd in the slot. Um, I just think, you know, as uh, Ross being out there, even if he doesn't catch a pass, backing up that safety so they can run the ball, and that's what happened against the Colts. I hope that continues. I'd love to get the Ravens out of, you know, stacking that line because they're really tough really physical defense if you can get that extra safety back i feel much more comfortable with the bengals game this thursday all right now one thing i remember about past ravens bengals games particularly the ones in cincinnati is they often start with a with a, a lopsided time of possession for the bengals on the early drives and a fair amount of six-man line being played uh, it's something I just remember right. that, 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 the, uh, that they've done. Do you, is that still part? Do they see six line, a six, either six man or unbalanced to this first game? They did it twice last week, um, and most of it was goal line work. They, they released Ryan Hewitt, their former H back fullback, so they don't have a guy in the roster right now. And I think instead they said, well, we like our tight ends. Um, how do we maximize a goal line package or, or run, some run run plays? And one of the tight ends went back. C.J. Ozama goes back into the fullback position. They replaced him basically with Jake Fisher on, on you know, off, off the tackle. So um, I don't know if it's a staple like it was. If you're thinking like 09, Cedric Benson, when the Bengals ran at, I think first running back to have over 100 yards against the Ravens and whatever that span was, uh, that was a lot of unbalanced stuff. And the Bengals really – um, came into that year not knowing what they were going to do on the offensive line and needed to really wanted to establish that run game because Carson Palmer was coming off of an uh, elbow ligament injury. They weren't sure if he's going to be the passer he was. So that was really a staple for them. That man already eight, nine, ten years ago. But yes, uh, I don't expect that to be what they do. I think right now what they are is spread it out and run. They're going to be three wide receivers. They're going to detach Tyler Eifert into the slot or even out wide, and they're going to say, okay, you've got five, six, seven in the box at most, come tackle Joe Mixon in space. And they want you to do that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how comfortable they are with, because last week they gave almost no help to the offensive lineman. Uh, going going against the Ravens should be a little bit different. You're going to may want to keep that tight end in. You may want to keep that running back in. 
which gives you less passing options, right? Um, Joe Mixon ran 24 routes last week, only stayed in the block one time. So I don't know if that will continue against the Ravens, but I, I definitely thought it was uh, interesting that they did that to the Colts. And what it did was Colts only rushed four the whole time, the whole game, and it really allowed Andy Dalton to get the time to get these plays off because we know this offensive line isn't great. Um, and if they would have rushed five or blitzed a little bit more or, or won a little bit more on that right side, this game could have gotten real nasty real quick. Yeah, well, I, when they have beaten Dalton in the past, it's it's getting in his face that has really given him a lot of trouble, obviously. And the Ravens have tall five techs and tall guys on the insides who can do that. I will say this, though. I, in looking at the Ravens' weaknesses defensively, and they don't have a lot, but I think their biggest weakness defensively is stopping the run when the other team spreads them out. If you put three receivers on the field and go with 11 personnel, I think that's the way to run at the Ravens most effectively. Get them with, with six men that you 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 have in the box and, you're, and try and beat those. They do have Tony Jefferson, who, who who adds a little bit to their run defense from safety, but that's uh, that's probably the best look to beat them with uh, on the and ground. That's good to hear from our my, our side here because uh, I do believe that's how the Bengals' offense is going to operate for most of this year. Uh, like I said, Lee, when they released um, Ryan Hewitt at the cutdown day, I think that was the sign of you know we're not going to be this power run team, and you know and you. I don't know how, how you feel about it. A lot of people feel differently. Like you have to establish this power run in order to get these play action passes off, in order to assert your dominance as an offensive unit, in order to get that mentality on the offensive line. But at the same time, when you watch these offenses that can spread it out and spread defenses out, and they're getting five yards of pop, six, seven yards, you say, why would you ever bring anyone in tight and try and run against eight, nine, ten guys, right? Um, get these guys, get these defenders out of there. Because especially right now in the NFL where – I definitely feel like defensive line and front seven talent on the defense outmatches offensive line talent right mm -hmm. now. These guys are getting beat one-on-one -on -one easily. You want to get as many blockers uh, um, or many defenders out of the out of the box as you can to, to give your offensive line that advantage. And if you can't block five, four or five guys as it is, don't bring seven, eight guys into the box and try run against it. Yeah, I, I agree. That's it's uh, silliness. The Ravens do really have a power run game now, for what it's worth. But uh, and they they're still one of the few teams that likes to run with an extra with a fullback in the game. Uh, so you'll probably see a heavy dose of Patrick Ricard in this game. So anyway, I I, uh, I appreciate that, and I think I agree with you that that I think running against a spread defense and 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 forcing the nickel with three receivers is usually the way to go in the NFL these days. And it's funny because the Colts did almost the opposite to the Bengals. And we'll get to the defense, I'm sure, but this is what the Colts did. Um, the Bengals are, are built from the nickel out. They build their defense nickel first. So Darquez Denard, they've spent three first-round picks at corner. So William Jackson and Drake Kirkpatrick on the outside, Darquez Denard is the slot guy. Um, they drafted defensive end and specialty pass rusher the last couple of years. Carl Lawson, maybe their best edge rusher, only plays a nickel on, uh, from primarily on the right side. Uh, they kick in uh, Michael Johnson to defensive tackle. So they go out there with three defensive ends, one defensive tackle. They're really not prepared to stop the run in, in their mm -hmm. nickel package. So Offenses know this. They Sometimes they'll come up three wide receivers and want to run against that defense with three defensive linemen in there. And other times what the Colts did was kept the Bengals out of their nickel package. What they did was go out there in 12 personnel, two tight ends, and spread them out. Mm -hmm. So now you got linebackers in coverage. Now you got your safeties in coverage and only one safety deep. Um, in, the pass, in the defensive line unit then is Michael Johnson at right end, who's not a pass rusher at this point in his career. Andrew Billings at nose tackle, who's never been a pass rusher, even though they like him. So it's really Geno Atkins getting doubled inside, and Carlos Dunlap has to win, and there's, there was a tight end on his side a lot of times. The, the Colts really neutralized the Bengals' pass rush, which I think could be a really – is probably the strength of the team and could really be a top unit in the league. Um, and I wonder if that's what we expect to see from the Ravens from what I saw against the Bills. You know, they do like to bring it in tight and use their tight ends and, and use the fullback. And I think it's smart. If the Bengals' offense doesn't get out to a quick lead, um, the other opposing team can dictate how the Bengals come out and what personnel comes out for that team. Yeah, they have the Ravens do have some flex personnel. So Mark Andrews gives an option of a of a tight end who can flex and maybe cause problems. And then they have the ultimate flex personnel, Lamar Jackson, who I'd like to hear your opinions on on what the Bengals will try and do to to contain him. They've never been good against uh, running quarterbacks and rookie quarterbacks. It seems they they've always are late to adjust on in the Marvin Lewis era. Um, the only time I really them really remember them being really good was, was against Robert Griffith the third. In Washington, his rookie year, um, a lot of those option plays and read options, 
those long defensive ends can cover a lot of space. They look like they're crashing inside, but really they can hold the contain too because they're six seven. You know, Michael Johnson and Carlos Dunlap. So it, they like athletic guys, long guys on that defensive line. I, I really think that helps um, against those those athletic quarterbacks. But watching Jackson from last week, I don't think he was. Uh, you know, he, it was good he got time to get in and, and and actually be a quarterback and throw the ball at the end. Uh, I just think you could definitely tell his eyes were a little slow. He wasn't seeing it all. He wanted to take off and run. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like Jackson as a prospect, and I do think it's in him. Um, it may take a year. It may take two or, or whatever, however the Ravens' timetable is. But I do think that's in him. I think he had the touch. I think he had the accuracy at times. There was times where his footwork is disconnected from his upper body, and I think that ended up being a, a lot of his inaccuracy issues where he, he just battles battles with bouts of it in, at times during the game. Um, but overall, it's just a freak player obviously and what he can do at any given moment of the game um could turn the tide yeah well they i think they will probably use him a little bit more effectively this time one of the things that that i think they were trying to do is get him on tape a lot so other defensive coordinators would be concerned and distracted by his presence as opposed to uh you know real value they're getting out of it they're bringing him only in on first and second down to try and get plays they're not using him to convert uh and, they, and they, they've i think effectively you know the the best chance is to use him in the red zone where he can he can run off with a he can run off and make a play. Oh, I think red zone, especially for any quarterback that can move. Anytime you can make it eleven on eleven again, mm-hmm. um, I think you're much more effective in that red zone as everything gets tighter and it seems like you know it's almost playing um, ten versus twelve in the red zone because the defense is just just packed in there. The zones get tighter, the holes get tighter, everything gets gets, gets harder. But if you can make that quarterback a runner or or someone who have to account for, um, it becomes infinitely more dangerous. Now let me let me go back to a player because I, I didn't hear what you said about Carl Lawson. How's he being used this year? He is nickel edge rusher only. Um, they they had to force and get him on the field in their some of their base four three defense last week because the Colts kept him off the field by going out there in twelve personnel. Uh, the Bengals are comfortable with him rushing the passer and not so much against the run. I think last year he rushed the passer three hundred eighty times and only against the run seventy five times uh, total. So. Um, they really keep him out of that situation because he is opposite ends of the spectrum. A-plus pass rusher, small guy, you know, not really going to hold and set the edge um, as a run defender. And they just want to keep him out of those situations because they have Jordan Willis, because they have Michael Johnson, because they have Sam Hubbard. All three guys are probably better at, at stopping the run at this point in their careers. Maximize your players. Use your, put your aces in their places, and for them, that's what they try to do. Is it, are the, are, does this make the Bengals a team that's somewhat vulnerable to the no huddle, in your opinion? Yes, uh, and you saw that a little bit with the Colts. You go out there, and if you can uh, have some flex players that you come out there in a 12 personnel or you get – a lot of times, Geno Atkins will come off the field because he needs a break, right? Ryan Glasgow comes in for him, who's been a serviceable player now in year two, but he's not Geno Atkins. And you see with the Colts, they started going, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Keep the pace up. Don't let Atkins back in the game. Next thing you know, you're six plays down the field and you've gained 40 yards and Atkins is trying to get back in there or trying to sub as fast as possible. Um, yes, they're vulnerable to that. You, they, they love to rotate on the defensive line because they feel they're deep on there. They don't want to wear anyone out. If you can catch them at the right time, hit the gas pedal and try and move it. Okay, let's let's go back to secondary for a second. I didn't hear anything about the health of Darquez Denard yet. He's perfectly healthy. Uh he had a little, little something. He was limited, I believe, yesterday, um, but he's going to be perfectly fine. Okay, so he'll play. That's unfortunate for for, for Ravens fans. But uh, I, tell me about the like the base pass defense package that, in terms of the secondary, that the Bengals play. Yeah, and it's a new defensive coordinator this year, Terrell Austin, coming over for, from the Detroit Lions. So um, I expected more man coverage and we didn't get that week one so i'm still interested in saying you know the jury's still out on how he's going to change it honestly the marvin lewis has gone so many defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators and a lot of times everything remains the same uh, i think it's mostly marvin you know put in and he's that coach right so he's going to have his influence on on the defensive side of the ball especially so what we saw instead was a lot of cover two and they lost sean williams their other safety in the first quarter i don't know if you saw the hit on um on Andrew Luck, but he got ejected from the game for uh, for an unnecessary roughness. So they were very safe from that point on. You lose you lose one safety. Um, they're starting Jesse Bates at the other safety position. So you have Clayton Fedulum, who was a seventh round pick in, in his third year, and Jesse Bates at safety. Even though you have three first round corners, 
Um, they really stayed in a shell defense and said, we're not going to get beat over the top. I believe 38 of 39 of Andrew Luck's completions were under 20 yards, and they just said, we're going to throw it up front, and we're going to come up and make the tackle, and we're not going to get beat over the top. They did get beat one time over the top, but it was mostly on a, uh, a nice design play by the Colts, and, and, and um, they really like William Jackson. They believe he is a number one corner that can shut down a number one receiver. Uh, I don't know if they, they didn't trail – T.Y. Hilton with Jackson, though. They play left side and right side. So William Jackson's your right side. Drake Kirkpatrick's, Kirkpatrick's your left side. Kirkpatrick had a really good game week one. Um, and Denard's just lock guy. They like Denard mostly in zone. He almost plays like a safety and a linebacker at times because they'll just have the middle of the field be zone um, defense, and they'll include him in that and maybe a mid-zone for the hooks and curls and, and, and even covering tight ends at times. So um, really, I'm I'm – not saying concretely what I think the, the the what they'll lean on in terms of coverage because I, I don't know if week one was an anomaly um, because of the, the safety depth and because Terrell Austin's a new coordinator. But I do think they, they feel confident in their safeties and corners as a strength of the team. Do they play dime or do they only play nickel? Never dime. It's only nickel. Uh, never never dime. never dime. You can go out there for wide receivers and they won't do it. They'll go into his own defense and they'll maybe bring a safety down. Jesse Bates did it at Wake Forest. They think he can do it. Um, yeah, didn't get into that situation because the Colts aren't really deep at receiver. So they have never done it in the past either. So uh, defenses, I mean, offenses have been able to exploit that with the Bengals in the past, especially with, a, with an athletic tight end or a, rec- or a running back that can split out a receiver. The Bengals won't go and dime. They'll stay with, with what they're at. Okay, this is a real interesting point because Marvin Lewis, of course, was the Ravens defensive coordinator for six seasons the first six seasons of the of the team's history. And, you know, you, you talk about his influence still on the defense in Cincinnati. The 2000 Ravens, you think of, as, or maybe you don't think of, but I think of as having a fantastic starting 11. But the guys right. who were playing the money downs were the nickel, dime, and quarterbacks. The Ravens played 34.5% dime and quarter that year. Wow. included 62, 62 quarter snaps. So they, they played seven in the Super Bowl that year. You know, so That's amazing. It, it's, it really is. And it, Marvin Lewis loved extra defensive backs. The other thing he loved, by the way, and I don't know if he's still doing this in Cincinnati, is he stunted more than any defensive coordinator I've ever seen, including guys who had no business stunting. Uh, oh, he so, still does that. He still stunts a lot. And you get Geno Atkins, who can do it, actually. He can turn the corner and, and come around the outside. And they asked, the first sack on Andrew Luck last week was on a tackle and stunt. Carl Lawson went inside. Geno Atkins wrapped around and got the free sack. Um, so they still do that plenty. And they're uh, – rush four team the, the most exotic they really do is stunt and they, they really don't bring too many blitzes uh, maybe a handful in an, in an entire game but you know what they did a couple times and when you talk about the dime um they did do a big nickel uh not this not yet not week one but in past years when they had injuries at linebackers uh they would add another safety to the field so that may be considered dime I, i've always called it big nickel but um you know that's five defensive it, so, backs or six five, Six by having the the three corners, two and three safeties, basically. That's a that's a dime. That's yeah, a, that's I, a I, yeah, I understand that. But you know, I always called it the big nickel because of um, you know when the Giants uh, and the Patriots and Eagles did it last year with Malcolm Jenkins and Patrick Chung were really a, a linebacker, if you will. They played more snaps at linebacker than they did actually safety or corner. So hybrid defenses that's just what it is in the nfl right as as offenses start to spread out spread out a little bit more we're putting labels on them as what they are they're just defenders at this point right okay well fair enough uh terrific uh, anybody else we need to hit on on the defense we didn't really talk about the inside linebackers too much about nick vigil and how he's playing this year yeah vigil had a fantastic week it's one sam actually yeah he is uh but they you know what they do um they don't play in past years, it's been left outside linebacker, right outside linebacker. They really haven't swapped based on strong side and weak side. Uh, they did a little bit week one. I don't know if that's an Austin thing, but it's something they really never did in, in previous years. Uh, in nickel packages, though, they will say, okay, um, it's Preston Brown and Nick Vigil as their nickel linebackers, but they'll play left and right. And if, if the tight end goes to the left, well, now the weak side guy is, or guy going in the space is Preston Brown and Nick Vigil's in the middle. So they really are flexible with, and kind of expect all their linebackers to play all three positions and know, know everything. Um, the weakness right now is Jordan Evans at the weak side spot, replacing Vontaze perfect. It's a guy that really high on fifth round pick last year was very athletic coming out of Oklahoma. They felt coming from a really spread conference that they know he can cover. They know he can run. Um, but can he, 
do the physical portion of the game. And it ended up being almost the opposite. He's very physical, good downhill run defender, but he doesn't have it mentally in coverage. And so they're taking him out and, and, and when they go into their nickel package. And you would think Vigil, who is a, who's a decently athletic guy, even though he's not overly fast, and Evans could be a good package, but it's not right now. It's Preston Brown and Vigil. And Brown had an interception on the second play of their defensive start in, in, in last week, but he also got beat a lot when they did spread it out and let – um, Brown get isolated against running backs Naheem Hines and, and um, Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. So he's exploitable in the middle at Preston Brown is. He has an ankle injury anyways. He's questionable. I do think he'll try to go, but he tried to go a couple times last week and he ended up being pulled a, a few times and was replaced by Hardy Nickerson Jr., uh, second-year uh, second guy who the Bengals really like. Marvin Lewis coached Hardy Nickerson and his father. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay, that I think should do it for the for the defense. Uh, anybody on special teams we want to be talking about while we're here? Randy Bullock, the kicker. Uh, Kevin Huber, the punter. Brad St. Louis, long snapper. They've been there now for Bullock. I think it's now his third year. But the punter and long snapper, long time. They feel confident in those guys. Bullock, the thing to worry about is he really they won't kick it over 45 yards. They they will if they have to. But they, and you know, he's no Justin Tucker. They're not saying, oh, well, we've stalled at the 40. Here's a, here's a long 57-yard field goal. The Bengals, uh, watch their third down calls in that range of the 50 to the 40 because they know they're, they'll either have to go for it on fourth down. So it may be a setup play on third down, not actually going for the first down. Um, you know, say if it's like a third and eight situation, they may say, okay, we'll take six and go for it on fourth um, because they're not going to kick that long field goal. So it's something to watch for them in, in a, you know, expected tight game. Those three points can make a big difference. How how is I assume you're into win probability metrics and whatnot, be, being who you are. How is how have you thought Marvin Lewis has been as a game manager in terms of some going for some of those fourth and whatever situations based on field position and whatnot? There are times when he's been aggressive, and you you find yourself being shocked. Um, well, overall through 15 years, I, I think the most people feel he's he's conservative in those situations. Uh, he will say. You know, I, I'm playing for almost a, a, a three to seven point game, and we we feel if we have a good team, we'll come out on top in, in the very end. And, um, you know, there's so many situations going, like they'll say, a minute and 10 seconds left before halftime, and they're comfortable just running out the clock. There was a game last year against the Browns where I believe it was about a minute and 20 seconds, and the, the Bengals got the ball to 25 after a touchback, and they run the ball. And um, I think they get six yards. They're slowly going to it. They run it again, get a first down. Hugh Jackson on the other side calls a timeout. And it's like, it was good. And you see Hugh looking at Marvin like, All right, you've got A.J. Green. What are you doing? And so they throw a pass, completed about 30 yards. Um, Hugh Jackson calls another timeout. So you're like, what is going on here? What is Hugh Jackson doing on the other side there? The Bengals end up throwing a Hail Mary, and A.J. Green catches it one-handed. But you're like, Marvin. Even the guy on the other side who knows you intimately, knows this roster, says, what are you doing? You know, move the ball down the field, be aggressive, go for it. And it just has never been his, his really his nature. It's been guys like Mike Zimmer being the aggressive side on defense. It's been Hugh and Jay, and Jay Gruden um, uh, as the coordinators really pushing the ball and pushing the envelope. Marvin's more of, you know, let's take care of the football, let's not make any major mistakes, and then and we'll come out on top at the end. All right. All right. Well, we've seen some playoff games. Most notably, I can remember the game against Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The horrible <laughs> game with the, with the penalties being uh, being one that didn't go so well. But anyway, uh, I guess we're to the point where we should be talking about this game coming up and maybe what you see specifically uh, that you would feel is your biggest fear, biggest weakness in the game for the, for the Bengals. And uh, we can talk about the same for the Ravens if you like. Biggest fear is easily the right side of the offensive line. Alex Redmond's the starter at guard. Um, he beat out Trey Hopkins and Christian Westerman for that spot. He's a former undrafted guy. I want to say going in year three this is uh, at UCLA. He's a big, strong, powerful guy who likes to rip out of his stance, but it, what it does at the same time is he ends up with a lot of false starts. He ends up with a lot of holding plays because he's not that agile type of guy. If he gets off balance, he ends up holding. Uh, he can be beaten pass protection. Um, on the right side, Bobby Hart, we discussed him. He is not a good player, and, and he's the, the weakness on, on the offense. Matt Judon, if they want to put Suggs over there, I, I really feel like you're, they're going to bull rush him and, and just get to Andy Dalton very quickly. I, I, I'm very interested to see how the Bengals want to help 
Bobby Hart out because they didn't at all last week in order to spread out the Colts. But I'm not sure if you'll be able to do that same thing with the Ravens, like I said. Um, so seeing that and seeing that matchup and seeing how the Bengals adjust from week one to week two, it's really interesting to me. I, I feel good about the Bengals' defense versus the Ravens' offense. Traditionally, they've been able to control Joe Flacco. And what it is is really they'll stay in, stay in a shell defense and say, let Flacco get his four or five yards and dump it off to the tight end, to the running backs, and they'll come up and make the tackle. And until Flacco gets a little aggressive and tries to fit a ball where he shouldn't, or you can move him off his spot, Geno Atkins pressure up the middle. Even though you got Marshall Yonda, you know, that's a great battle up front. Um, but Atkins will win at times. And if you can move Flacco from his spot, I feel like that's when his accuracy issues start to happen as he's a little off balance, one foot's maybe up, you know, um, it, that's what they're banking on. They're banking on those those couple mistakes that Flacco will have, and if they can capitalize, that's why they've stayed in games. And they've been a lot of close games between the Ravens and Bengals. And it's AJ Green at the end of the game, or Tyler Boyd last year, you know, on the Bengals side when they when they come out on top, or it's just Andy Dalton unable to solve the defense of the Ravens. And I, I do keep actually, you asked me this before we started. I keep a um, a, a spreadsheet of common and uncommon opponents. And then a common opponent is somebody the Bengals play last year or in the current season. So, and I, and I, in the current season means division rivals, of course, because you're going to play them twice. But mm-hmm. every playoff game they've had also has been a team they played with in that last year also. Uh, so it was the, the Jets before, or the, uh, the Chargers, the Colts, the Texans. They played all those teams previous in that season. And it, in, against common opponents, Andy Dalton is about 30 points worse in quarterback rating. He's about eight points less in um, completion percentage. He's almost um, one touchdown to one interception ratio in his career. But against uncommon opponents, so the Ravens are common. Uncommon would be if you went to play the Packers, let's say. Um, And they usually get about eight games of each a, a year. And Andy Dalton, throughout his career against uncommon opponents, is a 100 quarterback rating guy almost 68% completions, touchdowns 7% of the time. I mean, three three to one ratio, touchdown to interception, doesn't get sacked. It, and what I found on tape matching that up to the numbers was common opponents or division rivals like the Ravens, they know how to mix it up. And what they'll do is they'll show one look pre-snap and they'll switch it post-snap. And what that does to the Bengals offense is really confuse them. Their entire offense and the passing offense is predicated on the pre-snap read. So if they see, um, let's say, two split safeties before the snap, they, they read middle field open. So the ball more than likely is going to go over the middle of the field. If the Ravens switch it up or, or this defense switches it up and ends up with a safety in the middle, um, it's a cover one or cover three, the ball should go to the boundary. But if, he, if Dalton doesn't recognize this, is when he struggles post-snap. And when he gets happy feet, he, he'll, he'll lock onto his target and say, oh, I didn't see the safety rotate. This guy's not open now. He struggles to move and stay within the pocket and make little movements to go to that next guy and make the course correction, um, and that's when you get him. So it's the defenses that can really disguise, bring fire zone blitzes, um, rotate those coverages, and, and um, if you can do that, and I think the common teams know this because they play the Bengals most often and realize they're going to – they're picking who they're throwing to almost before the snap, based on who, based on the read. So um, it'll be Bill Lazor though. Is where I'm getting long-winded. But Bill Lazor last year when he took over, almost flipped it. Common and uncommon numbers all completely switched. And now this is I had seven years of data before, and now I look at this through 10 games or um, um, 14 games of Bill Lazor, and I say, well, this is weird that it completely swapped the way it did. And um, and then the Colts again work a common opponent. Andy Dalton played a very, very good game, and they switched a, switched a lot of what they do up, and they're still a pre-snap read team, but there's a lot of package plays and RPOs built into their offense now, and what it does is it doesn't matter what you want to do on the defense, there's going to be someone that's open, so as long as Andy Dalton can read it correctly, um, whether that's before the snap in a package play or after the snap in a, in a, in a RPO, um, as long as he reads it correctly and he's been doing that pretty well, somebody's going to be open and he finds the right guy. It's when they try to go more traditional and then get get the unexpected on the defensive side is when he has his struggles, which were still there. He still had a handful of plays versus the Colts where they disguised their looks, and he bailed the pocket way too early, and there were guys open down the field. So, um, again, that's a trend that, for me personally, something I've recorded for a long time that I want to see how that continues this year. Okay, let me, let me make sure I have this because I think this is a really fascinating idea, but you're a common opponent if you played – Earlier that year, which you always right. will with a division opponent, so Correct. I guess that doesn't really matter, or the previous year. Right. Okay. So you, you end up You with, automatically um, start out with six common opponent right. games in your division. And Correct. then you have 
you have one other guaranteed because you had a you have by the schedule within conference you always get a matchup with the with the division you play everybody from the previous year or the right. next year. Right. Okay, so you're already guaranteed seven. And what's the normal number? Eight, nine, ten. It's normally about eight, eight, eight for each. Eight common, eight un, um, uncommon. There's been years where it's been seven and nine, but yes, it, it's totaled out to almost um, dead even over um, seven years now. Okay, I, I'd be fascinated to see your dad on this. If you, if you, have I, will, any... I will post it again. I, I usually do every. I just did something on the athletic recently and, and put all the numbers up. Uh, but I will post it again for you. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, uh, let's see. I think we maybe we talk predictions right now. I, I don't. I'm not a big prediction guy because I'm a probability guy. I'm not a one or zero guy. And the Bengals are currently showing by the most recent I looked at at 50.4 percent to win based on the uh, current best available lines. You can get one 195 and 190 were the two best. I'm sorry, 195 and 198 were the two best I saw. So. Uh, 50.4%. Is that too high or too low, do you think, on terms of the Bengals' probability of winning this game? It's a coin flip. I mean, I really, uh, it's hard to argue that, right? If it was 60 or 40, I'd, I'd probably have an opinion. But 50 50, um, I feel that makes sense. I, you know, I, I look at it and I can see it's been so long. It, you know, anytime it's a division team or any, it's been Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton for so long now. I could see any outcome coming out of this. And I do feel good about the Bengals' roster as a whole. I don't like them in primetime situations. I don't like them against physical, mean teams and, and defenses. And I, I would categorize the, categorize the Ravens as such. Uh, on primetime with the lights in a short week. I do like the home team, though, normally in those games. Oh, yeah. So, but the Ravens got some rest because they were up, you know, 40 points and, and the guys were coming out in the, early in the third quarter. So, you know, the Bengals are playing a game where they had to go down to the wire against the Colts and 82 defensive snaps. These guys are going to be uh, a little bit... Uh, not as rested as the Ravens are, obviously. So I wonder if that if that advantage is neutralized a little. Yeah, very very good point. And I don't count snaps the other the way that other people do. So I always go back to the game book to just make sure we're doing it on the same basis. But the Ravens defensive linemen who played the most snaps, and that's where I believe that your your rest really comes most into play. But Chris Wormley played 37 snaps. He led all the defensive linemen. And you know that's not too many. Then Brent Urban right. at 28 was second. So they, uh, they certainly are as rested as they've ever been for a road Thursday game. Just the, the history of the Ravens on road Thursdays is a nightmare, starting with that 2006 game at Cincinnati where they didn't clinch. I remember the that. After yeah. they had nine sacks against Roethlisberger the previous week. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, Joe, it's been fabulous having you on. Let's, let's make sure everybody knows where they can go see your material. And uh, Josh will maybe have a mailbag question too. Yeah, I've got that. a few. I've got a few questions first. Uh, remember, it's hashtag Film Study Mailbag on Twitter to get in your questions for uh, Ravens or in this case Bengals game. So I got a few questions for Joe. And Joe, the first one's really easy. On Sunday, the Bengals game was kind of locked up by a fumble recovery by Clayton. How do you pronounce Fe his last name? Fedulum. That's the question. Is how do you pronounce that name? Oh, keeping okay. it nice and simple for you. I've struggled with that for now. It's into it's into his third year, and now I'm like, I guess I have to actually learn it. The last couple of years, it's been like, you know, Fedgie. I don't know what it is. And then now he's playing, so it's Fedulum. Fedulum. All right, exactly how it's spelled. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> the uh, the preseason. Yeah, I haven't seen this before either. The Bengals finished their preseason with the Colts, and then started their season with the Colts. Yeah. Does being around the team does that? change in any way how they prepared for week one being so so much around the Colts beforehand you know I I've never seen that ever and uh I I thought the same thing how are you even going to play the preseason game right what are you gonna what are you going to show who are you going to show you, right you just going to play the third and fourth stringers guys that aren't going to play in week one and the Bengals didn't they John Ross went out there they threw him a deep ball actually and I don't know if that was like a warning of yeah this guy will beat you so you better get that safety back and I it looked like the Colts respected them instantly. They were playing off coverage from the from the first snap. Um, so I don't know what kind of effect it had. I, I maybe it helped the Colts a little bit because I, I honestly on paper I don't know if I liked the Colts roster very much at all. And, and there was a few times where it looked like yeah maybe they're a little too familiar with each other. They're not far in terms of distance, but you know playing each other back to back weeks like that. I don't care if it's preseason or not. You're watching tape of the same team for two weeks. Um, you're gonna feel a little bit comfortable with them. Sure, sure. Uh, Joe Mixon, he uh, there was had this lines going into camp that he had lost weight and trimmed up, and then he goes in and has like the best game of his career in week one. 
Is that something that they were projecting for him to really take a big step this season? It was. Um, last year he had visits with, I want to say, like 24 teams pre-draft because they wanted to meet him. They wanted to know, you know, character-wise, who are you? What are, what are we, what are we going to have if we draft you? Um, and he said he didn't get to work out as much as he wanted to. And he, I believe he got up to 238 pounds um, at 6'1", but, he, you know, he's a big guy. But you could see it sapped a lot of his athleticism and that burst, his one-cut jumps and, 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 you know, things like that. Uh, and he wasn't as effective as he should have been last year. The line was terrible. I think he averaged 3.5 yards per carry. But the flashes were there. You, everyone could see it if you watched him on film. So when he showed up at 218 pounds, trim and cut and, and lean and running as fast and quick as you could imagine in the way he was at Oklahoma, I, I do think this was expected for a lot of people that, that know the organization and, and watched him. All right, great. Uh, final question. Marvin Lewis, a lot of people were expecting him to be fired this offseason, and instead he yeah. got a two-year contract. Is that a real two-year contract, or is he in the hot seat still going into this season? No, that's a real two-year contract, but Mike Brown's not going to waste any money. And, and yeah, they're the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but they've had that in the past. He's been on one-year deals a couple times. He's been a lame duck coach and coached through it. Uh, a lot of people did think he was going to get fired. It was after the Bears game that got blew out last year, and then they come back and beat the Lions in Week 16, eliminate the Lions from playoff contention, do the same to the Ravens in Week 17, and somehow the players rallied around him and didn't want him to, to lose his job. And, uh, you know, I... Every time this happens, because it's happened a few times now with Marvin Lewis, and it seems like he goes into Mike Brown's office and says, we need to do this. We need to be able to fire the offensive line coach that's been there 20 years. You know, he's not getting it done. Um, I need to be able to pick a new defensive coordinator and let Paul Gunther walk. Uh, whatever he asked for, and it seems like those were the things he asked for, we got to be able to go and trade for a Cordy Glenn, a sign of Preston Brown, things like that. Um, he got it, and, you know, he's re hit the reset button a few times, and I wrote about this for The Athletic. Um, and each time he, he does, it has had success. At, at the end of the day, though, I think most Bengals fans look at it and say, we're ready for something new. We're ready to roll that dice again because you feel like he's maximized in terms of you get to the playoffs, he, you feel he's going to be outcoached again. All right. That's great. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Joe, you're writing for The Athletic, as we said at the top. What is some uh, recent things you've written on that got, people can go on up there and uh, check out? And also, what is your Twitter handle so we can have our listeners go and give you a follow? Yeah, Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. I'm active on Twitter. We can talk about any team or anything you want. Um, I, I stray from everything uh, football-related to, to everything else. But last few things I have written is the common uncommon trend. Um, so you will see that very recently in my in my history. Uh, writing, up, I have written about how Marvin Lewis hit the reset button and it feels like the Bengals have done that again. And then my film reviews. But over the offseason, I did uh, um, the top 50 Bengals player, players on the roster, and I wrote scouting reports on each one of them. So if you have a question about who's sacking Joe Flacco or intercepted that pass, type in their name in the athletic, and they'll come up, and there'll be a scouting report with how I grade each individual player um, on my own uh, um, grading scale. And, you know, I've got film and cut-ups and, and, and five-minute videos on each guy's also. So, so you know, if it's interest you, all the information's in there. All right. Very cool. Go, go ahead, Josh. I'm sorry. We didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just going to say, I just pulled up The Athletic, and all you got to do is type Joe in, and Joe Goodberry is the top author that comes Look up. Look at that. Really easy to find you. I love it. <laughs> so, right. Terrific, Joe. We really appreciate you coming on the show. You you know your Bengals extremely well, and I, I don't doubt that you also know a lot of other teams well. I, you know, I hope you'll, you'll engage in the conversation when we uh, – when we want to talk about something, and uh, and just terrific having you on, uh, really uh, offensive line guy in particular. Uh, Josh, do you want to say anything else before we close up here? No, uh, go check out uh, BirdlandSports.com for the offense and defensive shows that we did in the past couple of days, as well as uh, many other Ravens podcasts that are up there. And uh, let's just get ready for Thursday night. Sounds good. Thanks for having it. Thanks for coming, Joe. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you again. I think maybe next year, or maybe later this year. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if we need to talk again, um, you know, I feel I, after the Steelers' performance, maybe we'll talk three times this year. <laughs> All right.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.